1: So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Laura Gomez, welcome to Talking Theater. Please Bienvenida. I'm very Good excited access. to be talking to you today. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what the baby monitor is about and everything about Soledad with no spoilers.
0: No spoilers. The Baby Monitor is a wonderful play written by David Stallings that explores the subject of same-sex parenting through surrogacy and the, let's say, the peculiarities that exist within that structure uh, through society's rules. And um, it explores also subjects around family prejudice and um, preconceived ideas about same-sex families. So it's, a, it's a difficult place to describe other than around it without spoiling the situation. But it's in order to be that that's the kind of the macro description. So if I were to describe it through characters is uh, about a couple, a gay couple that has a son, Caleb, and, Um, They have met with some family, some relatives during Thanksgiving dinner, and um, some things come to light that make um, David's uh, character, uh, Damon, uh, cousin, be, let's say, um, suspicious of some issues around the couple with the child. And so um, Soledad, my character, is the caretaker of the child and is of dominican descent or rather she's dominican but you know based in new york even though this takes place in new england and um, she's a caretaker and has her you know point of view about gays and and point of views is a little bit prejudiced but she still deals with it in a way it's kind of we call it the noise she has noise from society but still a good person and has her good approach to the family until uh, some ideas are kind of put upon her head up around the, the couple and the child. Although has some
1: of that has some preconceptions, like you said, basically, and, and some prejudice, you get a sense that a lot of the you know, anger that she carries has a lot to do with the weight that America puts on Latino women and on immigrants. And there's this combination of both how her prejudice and all this anger and, I guess, sadness and pain come into play. So what is it like to play someone like Soledad and then, you know, go home? How do you wash her off? How do you take her back out and put her in the closet at the end of the night?
0: It's not, it's not that difficult for me to put her in the closet. I don't even do it. I, I live in the And yes, to what you just said about um, the U.S. putting some ideas through the hurt and you know the experience of the immigrant but there's also a reality I come from a country that's that has a lot um of religious background and a lot of that that solely that feels comes from her upbringing in Dominican Republic as well you know and I know this character I like that she's in around me both in DR and New York I know this type of mentality is very common And I can tell you, it's like it's in members of my family who happen to be, you know, it's fine. According to them, yeah, they don't have a problem with gay people, but can they just not show it around you? That's kind of the Dominican approach to that, which I always joke and say, so thank God you're not, you know, against gay couples. (laughs) You just don't want to see them. (laughs) And so there's a combination there from, that um upbringing and that religious background in in the back of her head and whatever society and family has um, put upon this mentality and then there comes the immigrant um, struggle in her case is an undocumented person for so many years so there's a layer like you said very accurately of maybe pain that she has to sustain and when these ideas are brought upon her of suspic- being suspicious, it, it could be mixed with, you know, scapegoating her own pain for sure.
1: She's very much like those Tia's who tell you that they love you and that you're still like their nephew or their niece, but they're always like praying that you're going to go to heaven someday, right? you're not And, and even,
0: even further than that, because I have that in my family and I'm not a religious person at all. But I have an aunt who I love. Her name is Carmen. Let me just shout out to my dear Carmen, who is one of those, I mean, individuals. She has her little saints that travel with her in her purse when she, and it's the most Catholic. I mean, she every day, but she's also the type of, um, it's my type of Christian if I ever were to have that, which I don't often, but she does the actions of love and she helps others. And she, I have my best friend and his husband, um, they're, they're a gay couple and she celebrated them and she made them a meal for their marriage many years ago. And she's super Catholic. So th- still that like, sometimes those things are very personal and sometimes like the dogma of religion don't doesn't get to these people. I think that there's people who find community and find whatever outlet that is more spiritual through religion unfortunately sometimes the institution itself affects a lot of um of what shouldn't be other than your spirituality and it becomes a way of thinking i'm sorry and jose you asked about how do i um leave soledad behind and i didn't quite get into that um i didn't uh, this is a character that I find a lot of uh, sympathy and compassion for at the end of the day, because I understand that a lot of what um, she feels is conditioned. And um, so it's kind of interesting for me actually to explore that part because it's so foreign. It's not foreign to me, but it's very divorced from me as a person. because is like, for me it's the complete opposite. Like the, um, Queer community LGBTQ has always been a part of my surroundings. Is i I feel like I'm a bona fide member, you know. If anything, um, so I could not imagine my life, uh, without gay people in it. Like, it just couldn't uh, survive in a world that is all through religious rules or whatever. Like, Laura would go insane. I think like, what is this? I don't. But for soledad. Is a is a very open space that she has the space to you know she has the ability to take care of this gay couple's son with this type of I you don't know way of thinking that again has been conditioned but she still feels so I feel that there's something very um, open and brave about her and kind of challenging whatever she has been taught because she happens to like these people. And, and even if we disagree on many issues, probably if if I ever met a person like this, and I do, um, I can see um, that is that is something that has been implanted rather than her nature. So it's not that hard to l- l- leave it behind. I find it interesting to explore it.
1: And if nothing else, she's a very rich character. I'm sure she's like a great to dig your, you know, sink your teeth into every night, right?
0: Yes, I mean, I always, I mean, uh, clearly, maybe it's temperament, but I always clearly see these characters coming to me, characters that have a feistiness to them, and this kind of strength, or maybe it's how, what I bring to the table, and that's, because maybe another actress would be softer or sweeter, and I, I, this, this soledad, through me, is kind of, yeah, she is kind of there's sarcasm to her. I mean, this is beautifully written by Davis Stallings, by the way. So finding the humor in this character is delicious. Um, but it's in particular with the character of the cousin, which is this white woman from New England with all this privilege who, you know, has her own type of prejudice, no, not just with the same sex couple, but also through my uh, ethnicity. Um, it's very, It could be very offensive to Soledad, but my Soledad finds it humorous. And just like, there is something about um, that behavior that could piss her off and maybe does, but she kind of pushes it away through humor.
1: You first met Soledad a few years ago when you first read the play. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what it's like then to finally, you know, play a character that you met so long ago. How have your impressions of some of that changed uh, as yeah. the years have gone
0: by? That is true. I read this play when it was just a uh, work in progress. Because uh, I've known Antonio, particularly, you know, Antonio and David, Antonio Minino, have been married for many years. But um, I met Antonio when I was back in the Dominican Republic. We were in high school together. Yeah, so we weren't close friends or anything, but we knew each other. And, uh, and then in New York, we kind of reconnected and I started to, and he was, when he got involved with David and and they're starting doing all this theater, he would always invite me to the readings. I found it very interesting. So yes, I did read for Soledad many years ago and uh, it was very, it's already, the play was already very rich. It was very much what it is now in terms of the heart of it all. So I found it fascinating to explore that, but the thing is that, um, oh, this is another element to the play. It happens during the Trump years. So Trump is president. And one thing that happened to David was that people would tell him before, well, that doesn't resonate. Um, things are not like that in New England. What are you talking about? There's no such racism or Trump comes to power. And of course, the whole US went so like, what? This is a racist country? Well, you think? Um, <laughs> So um, the whole um concept of placing it, you know, post Obama and during Trump makes so much more sense in a way because we're really then exploring the contradictions of people who really think of themselves as very liberal, find having this um thinking that is so just old school and wrong and um yeah so I had already I had a sense of that of that urgency and 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 for me the concept of a gay couple with a child which maybe in the U.S. is not such a big deal but it's not something that you see very often in Latin America you, you, there's no space for it you know um and I wanted to be a part of of this conversation. So Soledad was already very, very um, present in that draft.
1: I'm glad that you are talking about that because I was going to ask you if in any way getting to do a character like Soledad makes it easier to, to live in a world where a play like this is so important, you know, like so many people's lives can be changed by just going to the theater and experiencing lives that they think they have nothing in common with. So does the... What is it like for you as a human being, I guess, to be able to bring this kind of character to people who maybe are a little bit like Soledad?
0: I love it. I cannot say this enough about storytelling and theater in particular, um, but not really, but because film and TV have a very wide re- reach as well. you know. And I lived it through Orange is a New Black because it's a show that touches upon so many subjects that were either not being discussed or a little bit taboo. And, um, and we were reaching an audience that may otherwise not know about it. So I feel the same with this play. And what I feel it does is um, it humanizes the experience. And it brings it closer to people who would never, ever maybe know people like this, because we also cannot, I never take this for granted is the fact that I'm, you know, I have lived in New York for 20 years. Now I I have a base in DR, but I travel a lot. So I am surrounded by diversity. I'm, I am I so am surrounded by different way of thinking. So I'm always challenged, even myself in my own possible, you know, blind side, uh, how do you call it? Um, blind spots. So, but for people who aren't, it's through storytelling, I think that we get to change or at least open up. Uh, their frame of mind and their universe. And um, I find that this is exactly what this plate does because um you get to meet these people and their circumstances, and what you think it is is not really at all what ends up being and and you get to see, you know, what happens and feel it. And open up about how wrong you were. Because at some point, maybe you were, you know, whoever has that frame of mind might be uh, having these thoughts about this gay couple having a child and may they might end up liking them. And so I find it um, fascinating and powerful how storytelling can get to open us up to a different universe that, you know, from an, our own
1: Looking at the characters you played you know like people like Soledad and Blanca for instance there's something really beautiful that I read in an interview that you uh you were talking about Blanca and talking about how writers spoke to you about you know the Republica Dominicana and about your Mm -hmm. culture and people like Soledad for instance like you're, you're playing you're shining a light on Latina women and Latina characters that we really don't get to see that that often and I wonder if this is kind of like a mission for you to be playing these kinds of
0: characters? It is a mission. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed. It's difficult. It's a difficult mission because especially in the US, uh, the film industry and TV industry is hard for Latinas. You know, it's a, they put us in a box and that's kind of where we should exist and be happy to exist. So I've had to maybe not work as much for a little bit because I've been wanting to get out of that Um typecasting And so or I do, but I'm working out outside or right now in the theater, which where I find is always way more playful in terms of the choices that we get to make. Um so yes, but Blanca was just a lucky thing in, in the sense that I didn't I didn't have the power to choose I'm gonna make oranges and you like nor we n- neither of us knew what it was gonna be. I, but I do think that there's something about what I want in life and in my career that maybe attracts this type of, of characters right now I'm building a path so that these characters come to me because this is what I'm so I, I mention it I I talk about it I write them because right now I you know I have a screenplay that I'm moving around and it's about a, a Latina character it has nothing to do with stereotypes whatsoever I did a film in Spain um, where I actually play it's called a Pun and Tree. And I play a, a character that is an immigration officer. And uh, it's a very peculiar antagonistic character and with her own type of prejudice against Latinos because of how she, her type of line of work and conditioning towards what's illegal. And, you know, and I found that to be fascinating too. Um, I've played quite a few Dominicans, <laughs> which makes sense in a way because it's, um, is my nationality, but also, I mean, I've 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 been Mexican, I've been Puerto Rican here and there, but uh, I love that when they do come to me, these Dominican characters, they don't uh, they don't fit in a box, you know, which is my reality as it is.
1: Do you find that the entertainment industry, you know, at, at in every medium uh, that you work in, has been uh, basically keeping the promises that were made, you know, after uh, 2020, and there was all this racial reckoning and also the M2 movement and all this incredible social movements that happened and the arts promised we will change. As a Latina actor, are you seeing those changes out in in the world, in the, in, you know, in the scripts that come to you, in the opportunities that you're able to find, or is it still always about
0: carving uh, your own path and carving my own path (laughs) i mean i don't think that no um it's ironic to me it has changed i cannot say that it hasn't fully has changed way more for the african-american community which i think is fantastic it's changing for the asian american community gladly you know um i was hearing an interview with michelle yo and i'm sorry i don't know if that's how you pronounce her name but i think it is. Um, and, uh, she was talking to Mark Marin about her career, which I thought, wow, you know, it took so many years in between for such an amazing actress, which, you know, has such an impeccable career, um, in her own country and, and whatnot, who Tarantino himself wanted to meet, you know, back in the day and after Crouching Dragon, and, 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 and I think that, It's, it takes time, you know? And for us Latinas, um, well, it's a peculiar thing because they, I don't think it's an accident. You know, like I said, storytelling is powerful and it also gives um, in a subconscious way, maybe more conscious than not, but a little subconsciously put us in in our place, quote unquote, you know, it creates a narrative or where we belong. And so that's just my observation, at least. Um, So we get to play these same roles. We are the maids, we are the prostitutes, or we are, you know, the person who crossed the border. And there's a narrative there. So it keeps you on your lane, sort of, because that's the story that you're told. So you don't get to, let's say someone who did that, Their, their child doesn't seem to recognize anybody like themselves doing anything else. So um, that's why people say, I it's so beautiful to see myself. That's what I think it's about. It's about there is power in seeing characters like you break free of whatever stereotype um, we are um, assigned. And stereotypes are there for a reason. They they come from reality, but there's also a lot of exceptions that are not mentioned so that it doesn't break the stereotype, I think. And so, um, yeah. I I think I lost track of your original question but but in a nutshell um I think that there has been change slowly and yet when it comes to us the latino community which I which is ironic I think because there's so much um uh power to consume and there's economic power there cuz latinos watch a lot of tv latinos go to the movies <laughs> Um, and yet they give us the same so it's and when you see different topics and so different things um, there's also a type of latina that they choose and there's also a type of um, it's the same players pretty much because there's only a certain amount of roles so there's a lot of people fighting for the same roles which also create divisions because what it i don't think this is human nature as we I've been told, you know, women you just fight different, you know, fight so much. No, we don't. You just have one role for, you know, twenty five. Like, you have this type of divisions. Your the system is creating it. Um, and why can there be more? And why can it? I also hear this the thing of oh we don't sell or what that was said about women when Orange came, and we you know obviously the show proved them wrong. So. I think you can also create name actors who are, because um, it's a creation at the end of the day, I think, right? So we, we can create more characters that are not defined by their um, ethnicity. And and I don't know that we're there yet in terms of the Latinos. I think we're at the bottom of the pool.
1: <laughs> when did you first uh, see yourself represented on stage or on screen? In the arts who made you go i want to be like them someday
0: um well i was raised in dominican republic so for me it was a little bit different because i but hollywood has always had the obviously the lead in terms of what we see i will say i saw lauren velez currently luna velez um, who has become a friend. And I told her this story many years, I mean, a few years ago, we, we were together. And I said, I'm like, I saw her in the late 90s in that movie, I like it like that. And I don't know if you remember, but if, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, go look for that movie because it had that indie quality of the 90s, a little bit of like a Spike Lee-ish, but Latino flavor in Washington Heights. And Lauren Velez um, Luna was a force of nature and she was so latina and so out of the box but you know latina in 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 the best possible way and it has its spaces of of stereotyping that but she wasn't a stereotype she wasn't a caricature this character was going through something you know and it's about um her marriage and jones to, to john Seda it was such a good movie and it was such a great character and such a great actress and I remember um for sure and I was in DR but already with dreams of moving to New York to be an actress and that um performance and that actress always stayed with me and it was beautiful that eventually we got to know each other I got to tell her the story and we became good friends
1: That is really beautiful. Thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing that. So, although you uh, you were born in the U.S., but you were raised in in the Dominican Republic. So, what was it like when you told your parents, "This is what I what I want to do for a living"? Did you have any pushback going, "No, Mija, please become a doctor"?
0: (laughs) I was very lucky, though. Um, My my parents are very um, lovely, intelligent free people like they've always allowed me to or rather they've allowed me my freedom in many ways I would say that the only so they always encouraged my acting as a hobby like I was I was always in film courses and acting classes as a teenager Um I was a writer I was many things as a teenager that they you know encouraged I never I don't think that they ever thought it would be an actual thing. It was a hobby, and it was you know, it was healthy. So why not? um When, but it had always been real for me. I I'd never said it. I I would say it, but a part of me was afraid because I didn't see anybody around me that would do that. It didn't seem like a an actual career. And whoever was in the theater over there, who I know, I pretty much know them all and studied with them all in Dominican Republic. Um, it was. That was foreign to me because I didn't have anybody really directly or in my family in it. Um, My father is a business owner, but he studied sociology, so he has like a very sensitive soul in that regard. And they're both very appreciative of the arts. When I I, when I told them um, when I was about to finish high school that I wanted to go to New York, my mother was the one who had a little bit more of a heart attack um she said okay okay but you just ha- you have to finish a career you have to just to have something to fall onto so I think she was the one who was more on the defensive side which honestly if I look back and you'd have a 17 year old kid in Santo Domingo who wants to move to New York I get it and you know thank god she did that because it gave me those three more years to to kind of four more I, I left at 21 so um and I had a career. I I studied advertising, and but they were very supportive after that, very much so. And I left three weeks after nine eleven. So t- believe me, very supportive <laughs> to allow me to do that.
1: Well, that, that's incredible Did you be find because I, I I hear a lot of actors talk about how you know it's so important to create community, right? To not feel isolated because acting can be a very isolating.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Art kind of art making so were you able to find community quickly especially given how new york had no. Been just
0: no which is why i think my mom in a way did the right thing because it allowed me to develop more muscles i don't know what 17 would have been like in new york by myself whereas um 21 you're a young adult already i mean you're young and inexperienced and kind of dumb but or not dumb but you know naive uh, it took me a long time. I was very lonely for a very long time. New York is a monster, uh, but it's a great, I mean, once you conquered it, it's like a, <clears throat> a great mo- uh, mountain that you finally climb. Um, so it took me, it took me a few years. Um, I cannot say that that was an overnight thing, but I started to take classes. Um, I start back then there was backstage, the actual newspaper, not, you know, I had, this is how crazy this thing is, especially in my generation. I had to go to a place like an actual phone center to have internet, you know, for, and you would pay to have internet for half an hour. So it was actually a lot of the physical newspapers themselves. So backstage was the way I got it to, into some courses. Then I got into acting classes. I studied for three years, and then I got to do um, some off, 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 off Broadway. <laughs> and eventually, I became a member of Spanish Repertory Theater, and that was that was where my community came from at, uh, at that point.
1: I adore Repertorio Español, and <laughs> I actually live a few blocks, like two blocks, literally from Kaufman Studios in Astoria for a while and if I can recall, like you shot a lot of the show there, right? So that's where I we remember- shot the
0: show. Yeah, yeah the Orange is I, in the Black, yeah.
1: I remember just seeing, you know, maybe I saw you at some point, like entering the studio and, and everything. <laughs> what is it like, you know, for someone who has worked at a place as iconic as, you know, conference Studios in Soria mm-hmm. and you've done theater in New York. And then when the pandemic comes, I feel like a lot of us, like I actually left New York in 2021, like I feel like a lot of us came to terms with uh, it was okay to not be in New York for a while, like it was okay to take a break from the city, and it was okay to realize that it wasn't the center of the universe, because it was just too heartbreaking to be there, and I don't want to speak in your name, like that's how how I felt yeah Yeah. can okay. you talk a little bit about what it's like to be doing theater, for instance in Santa Fe and doing oh. all these projects all over the
0: world it's amazing um so New York and I uh did have a breakup during the pandemic we were married for 20 years that's plenty you know and that's exactly how it felt it felt like a marriage like a 20-year marriage that wasn't doing well um uh I felt exactly what you said. Like you are not the center of the universe. I know you've made me feel like that throughout. So I keep describing it as a narcissistic lover. <laughs> and all of a sudden you discover there's so much more. Um, I love New York. I always will love New York. It's my, it gave me a sense of identity. It gave me a lot of what I am as a person, as an art, as an artist, my community, because my, I have so many friends there and I find it hard now because so many people ask me, when are you coming by? I'm like, not right now. But I love that they're there. That doesn't go away. What you build in a specific place where you've been for so long doesn't go away. But it's not the place where I want to be right now. Certainly not. And uh, yes, I did so many, I mean, I I was a part of so much there because I also, I'm not a member of Labyrinth, but I'm friends with pretty much everybody at Labyrinth. So I would do readings with Labyrinth. I would you know, at some point that was a goal of mine. I wanted to be a member of Labyrinth. And then I started to work with them on the side, like, and be such good friends. And I realized I don't need to be a part of anything. I'm my own thing. And, And I move around. And I found that that's part of my M.O., and what makes me the happiest so I also moved left New York uh, got back to my native country which is something I never envisioned because I have a I have a very peculiar relationship with DR I love it but you know there are things that we don't agree with many things Um, but I made it my base and I love to be close to family and nature that was essential during the pandemic I needed nature and I needed a different pace. And I moved by the beach and I, I needed that. Um, and then a year later, let's say 2021, beginning of 2022, actually. Um, wow, I can't believe it's been like time flies. Um, I went to Spain. I did a movie in Spain. I did a movie in Mexico. Um, then I went to Madrid again and spent three months there and and did a very popular uh, podcast there. This Latina was the narrator of, you know, a very, very Spanish podcast, Corina y el Rey. And that became a thing. And I'm like, oh, I don't have to be in one place. I get to explore different countries, different cultures. And when this opportunity came to be at Santa Fe, I'm like, when am I gonna be in Santa Fe for two months doing a play? This is perfect. So right now I'm building something that's very strange, maybe to the to the fast pace of Hollywood or what it should have been. I threw everything out the window. It's not about what should have been. It's about what I want, what makes me happy. And doing this play in Santa Fe, which is the most amazing, I've been talking about nature and magic. There's magic in this town. So for two months, That's what I'm enjoying right now. I'm doing things that make me happy and build a path. And I'm telling stories that I care about.
1: That sounds like a lot of, you know, becoming very self-aware about how important self-care is, right? Basically. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: what would be your advice for people who don't, haven't gotten to the point that the hustle really only leads to burnout? Like what would you tell them? Just be here, slow down and take time off and grind yourself. And do you have any practical uh, tips and suggestions for people who maybe don't know how to do that?
0: It's ironic that I talk about insomnia as a gift right now, but I had chronic insomnia for three, for a few years, but it became chronic for three years. And really, really very, I was worried about it for a year. Um, this was during the pandemic and after, but it was actually right before, it was after orange ended. And it had to do with anxiety around the fact that I had created an identity around my work. So if I wasn't acting, I was nothing. It's pretty much what my voice would tell me. And I have voice I have a podcast in my head. My voices have a podcast of, of their own. I joke about this a lot, but it's true. And um, <laughs> and um When I say I I can't believe I'm, I call it a a gift is because it was through that obstacle that was physical and pretty much affecting my health that I got to, I had to stop. I had no choice. But the hamster wheel wants you inside and wants you doing that fast track. I'm not fully out of it. At times I find myself burning out what what has changed is that I am able to listen to my body and I think that that's very essential and I think that what I would recommend is to train yourself to listen to your body and it's not an overnight thing I'm very pro-therapy so find yourself a good therapist and start exploring that because I find that a lot of of it is voices that come from society Right now I'm, I'm fighting a new one, which is so, social media, you know, how much really you have to be present there, how much is really a demand. And I have a podcast of my own, so I, I have to, because it's like my child that I have to move around, but, but I'm debating that because I'm, I'm listening, not to my body, to my brain. My brain is exhausted. And I'm like, oh, so I, I think there's that, that's very important, connect to your body and your mind because it does talk it tells you through exhaustion through insomnia through whatever physicalities are showing in your in you i think these are messengers Um, i really do and uh, they will guide you and at the end of the day you know i realized why do i have to wait till i'm 70 to think about mortality After 40, I don't know, I'm 43. I'm like, at this point, I don't think about mortality. I don't think like, I'm going to die tomorrow. But what I do think is that time is precious. And why would I be doing something that doesn't give me joy? Right? So just because I'm building something, but if I'm building something through exhaustion, then how is that helpful to me as an artist? Because the truth is, and this is something I've been training, it doesn't mean I'm there fully in all of this, but it means I've been working on it. Um, I realized that being an actor didn't mean I have to be acting all the time. And that I wish I was Kate Winslet and had that journey and that career. I'm not. I'm not a white British, you know, big star like that. Things don't happen all the time. So I develop muscles to do other things and enjoy other things. I enjoy podcasting. I enjoy writing. Um, I'm doing this play now. And doesn't always have, it's not Broadway. Oh, well, you know, I'm in Santa Fe. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I'm enjoying life around my work. And um, I found that that, ge- that gave me a lot of um, satisfaction and, and it calmed down the noise, which is not real. Everything else is whatever you think people are thinking. And what the fuck do we know? About what people are thinking and what do I care about what people are thinking about my where is Laura Gomez after Orange is the New Black she's done plenty maybe not on Hollywood's radar but I've done plenty and I feel very fulfilled about it because I'm joyful
1: where is Laura Gomez she's 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 happy
0: I'm happy yeah
1: I I I was listening to Corina and it's so delightful
0: and
1: (laughs) I I hadn't I had never really noticed like how magical your voice is and I'm dying to know a little bit about what have you learned about about your craft based on you know voice acting because I you know I I it's it's just like really remarkable like I don't know what to say like I love it
0: <laughs> I love it too you know I've loved I started doing voiceovers back in the art for commercials and stuff and then I did a lot of voiceovers in New York for Again, commercial, I was the voice for CoverGirl for many years and swap professionals. Yeah, people don't, many people don't know that. And, um, but it's a different type of thing, you know, it's, you're selling something. So it's a beat and um, I didn't know. I don't think I have a particularly beautiful voice per se. You know, I don't think that's my thing. Some people just have a voice that you just, (gasps) what I do find is that I love exploring spaces in or the the capacity that my voice has to tell a story and it changes and I'm my voice is not the same in my podcast that it is in that in my own podcast Barajaeso, that it is on on Corina and the King right Corina el Rey because Corina y el Rey is telling a story that is not mine Barajaeso is about conversations with people but Corinna El Rey is a story that is a, it's like the crown. It's like the Spanish crown. And it was, um, they wanted something like a Disney type of thing. And I'm like, oh, I wonder how I can do that. And I, you know, then I, my my velvety voice and it's different in Spanish than English. And I'm like, oh, I can use this. And I started to think about what I would bring to that and listening to some narrations from Disney and um, Desperate Housewives and what it was, that marriage and i love the creativity that that brings and that's something that i'm doing now is exploring not only acting through one in one journey but in different type of spaces my voice is different for the theater than it is for radio where you have to you know and i find it fascinating
1: <laughs> well i find it very addictive and very delightful so thank you for that uh laura gomez it's, it has been a true pleasure talking to you would you like to invite our viewers and our listeners to come see the baby monitor if they're in Santa Fe. And if they're not in Santa Fe, they can take a little break to Santa Fe. And anything else like Corina and the King out there that people can can find you on right now?
0: Yeah, Corina y el Rey, you know, Spotify. Um, Michelle Prada is the English narrator. Barajas is my own podcast. But most importantly, I am enjoying being in the theater again after so long. And um, this play is very urgent, is very powerful, is very diverse. You know, it has two Dominican characters that are interpreted by two Dominican actors in Santa Fe, New Mexico. That's not, you know, this is a rare thing. So <laughs> I, I love it. And, uh, but most importantly, I find it to be very relevant. Um, I read some news today about a judge that took away the parenting rights to a gay couple and gave it to the, who had a surrogacy or had a sperm donor and gave it to the sperm donor. That happened today in Oklahoma or yesterday, I don't know, this week. Um, and the baby monitor, that's precisely what it's exploring. And it's not a gay play. It's a play about a gay couple. It's a universal topic about love and same-sex parenting and family and, you know, racial class, it has all these elements. So if you're in the Santa Fe area, I invite you to come to Santa Fe Playhouse, which is in a beautiful, beautiful old theater in Santa Fe. And if you're not in the Santa Fe area, let me invite you to come and buy a ticket to come to Santa Fe, because it's amazing, and buy a ticket to come see the Baby Monitor Santa Fe Playhouse. We open March 2nd till April 1st.
1: Laura, thank you so much.
0: And have fun in Santa Fe. Thank you. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work